0: Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better
1: video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech, executive producer at the IQ. And for a few minutes today, we should talk about the future of the creator economy. Yeah. Have any of you all actually took the time to think about what the future holds for the creator economy? I mean, look at everything that's happening right now. I mean, you got big time Twitch stars being signed to YouTube exclusively. You got Shopify are uh, now naturally integrating with YouTube. So you can now set up your Shopify stores on your YouTube channel. <gasps> oh my goodness. YouTube has, they have channel membership. Now they have super chat, super things. Uh, they're just doing so many different things to make it more possible and easier for creators to monetize and make money on the platform and other platforms are following through, They're not just standing there watching YouTube. Uh, Twitter now has ticketed Twitter spaces, which means you can charge people to attend your Twitter space. Um, they also have super follow, which means uh, it's almost like uh, channel memberships on YouTube in a way that people can pay you to uh, get exclusive tweets. So they could become like your super followers and get exclusive Twitter content from you for a price. There's a lot of things happening right now in the creator economy, but we are just in the infancy of the creator economy. There is so much more coming down the road for creators looking to become full-time and make full-time livable income off of being creators and living out their passion and sharing their passion with the world. It is incredible. And even still right now, the barrier to entry is basically your own limitations and what you think you can and can't do. Um, There's no requirements like becoming a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. There's no schooling required, although... If you want to become a successful creator, you will need to take some time in studying the habits of previous uh, successful creators, not to mention learning how your respective platform works so you can maximize your impact on that particular platform. And the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because today's podcast guest is a master of helping creators build their online businesses. That's right. We got Mr. Gold Play buttons all over himself, Mr. Daryl. Eve is coming on the podcast in a few moments, and he's going to talk to us about his journey and how he's helped a bunch of creators build businesses, uh, his company that he has. Uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about his relationship with Mr. B. Uh, we're going to talk about Vid Summit. We're going to talk about all the things creator economy related with Daryl Eve here in a moment. But I just wanted to ask that question to the listeners out there Have you thought about the possibilities and the potential of the creator economy? in the next 10 years, because folks, it is going to be a wild ride. And we are here. We are here on the ground floor at the very infancy of the creator economy. And the boom has not even happened yet. And interestingly enough, I asked Daryl this very question on the podcast, where does he see the creator economy in the next 10 years? And the answer that he gave me kind of blew my mind. But you know what? Enough about me talking about it. Let's go ahead and bring in the man himself. So let's go ahead and talk to Daryl Eve and let's roll to the podcast. This week, I have a very special guest, a master YouTube strategist, a man that has helped many a creator hit 1 million subscribers on YouTube, Let's welcome in Daryl Eve to the podcast. What's up, sir? How you doing? Hey, I am so happy to be here, Viper. Like, seriously. I am happy to have you. And I already know that this podcast is going to provide a lot of value to our listeners and up-and-coming creators. So thank you for making the time, man.
0: Yeah, for sure. Anytime I could talk YouTube
1: and data, like, I'm, I'm there. Like, I'm, I'm literally there. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So first question I got to ask you. Obviously, you recently came out with the, uh, a new book called The YouTube Formula. And a lot of your story is in that book. But for people who have not read the book or don't know your story, what brought you to YouTube?
0: Yeah, I was obsessed with video at a young age. I really wanted to create Super Bowl ads. And I went to school, got that whole thing, and then basically had some job offers to go move to LA and Chicago uh, to work with the firms that do these Super Bowl ads, but I didn't wanna leave where I lived. (laughs) So I, I basically started my own agency, and that was back in 99, and did a lot of search engine optimization at the time. And I was just trying to get websites built, ranked and get a lot of eyeballs on it and then convert those eyeballs into money and I got really good at it and in 2005 I was expanding the company and saw a Craigslist ad for a new website and if you could sign up and get a couple people to sign up you could enter in to win an iPod Nano when that was a thing back then and went on to YouTube that was the first time i seen YouTube and I was blown away because you could actually hit the play button and it'd play where before didn't matter if it was MySpace or all the other you know video share Sites at that time, they'd have to buffer first and then play. And then I also noticed that they could embed videos. And I was like all in. Cause then like for me, I'm an entrepreneur. I was thinking, Hey, I have 865 clients that we've done work for. Why can't we just do a video for them embedded on their website and it's game over. And so for the next year and a half, we did 865 videos all across the United States. And that's kind of where it all started. But then what happened, and this is like the literally two transformational moments for me was in 2007 and early part of 2008, All those videos that we made started ranking in Google search because Google actually bought YouTube back in 2006. And then in 2007, they were starting uh, to manipulate the results to have video rank. And ultimately I was dominating for just doing videos and ultimately they're converted a lot better than websites. And so I burnt my ships, basically sold my uh, SEO and my uh, website design company to another provider. And I just focused all in on video and then just really, really worked to get videos to convert on YouTube. YouTube, get them ranked on Google, and that's kind of how it all started until I really found my passion and love. I found what I'm really good at, which is audience development. One of the stores I was working with, a lot of mom and pop shops, one of the stores I was working with, they were trying to sell pianos online, and over the course of working with them in a couple years, they went to 1.8 million subscribers and a couple hundred million video views, They didn't sell a piano, but they were making a ton of money with YouTube. And I'm like, I'm all in, this is my jam. I found out what I'm good at. And then ultimately it did circle back uh, Viper, that I didn't really want to make Super Bowl commercials, but I wanted to create content that people would talk about and share with people. And that became the jam and that became my love and passion. And since then, uh, we've been able to generate over 87 billion video views on YouTube. And we've cracked the code, to be honest with you. It's not as hard as as what a lot of creators view or businesses view. You just gotta know what to do and how to tweak it. And uh, we basically literally developed a strategy where we come up with a plan, execute on that plan. And from that, from zero subscribers, we'll have over 30, uh, 37 gold play buttons. And ultimately we, you know, worked with the biggest brands and YouTube creators on the planet. So there we go.
1: That is pretty amazing, man. That, that, that's a long intro, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. So basically, you, you came on YouTube back in the early days because you wanted to use it as a platform to expand your business. So talk to us about how you think YouTube evolved in the terms of being a platform where a creator can go and use it to expand their business from the time that you started until what's happening on YouTube to uh, right now today.
0: Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of cool things that happened to YouTube. I think the biggest thing was back in 2006, 2007 that's when they actually did Google purchased them and then they did something pretty unique which was creating the partner program and so YouTube was sharing in revenue and this was like unheard of like literally unheard of and so YouTube realized that they're a platform and they needed creators to come on and incentivize them to create great content and so that's when it really started to impact you could make a really really a lot of money at that time and then now it's more about brand ideation and uh, you know developing a strategy to do more than just add revenue. So that's that's something that I work very specifically with businesses to come in and and generate money uh, in unique ways, whether it's creating their own products outside of t-shirts and hats and so on. It's like, hey, here's a product that would be linear um, and lateral with your brand. Let's go ahead and create that. And so that's been a, a really interesting concept. And what I found fascinating is companies that we actually invest in or companies that we start. It's not too long before we're pulling seven, eight figures out of that company, um, which is crazy to think about. And all we're doing is developing an audience that cares and loves about our brand and then having lateral projects and products that would be coinciding with the brand.
1: Okay, so let's get a little bit deeper into that because you talked about developing your, your target audience and things like that. A lot of creators, when they first come on the platform, they don't know how to find their potential audience. So what advice would you give them to go about figuring out who watches their videos, who their target audience is?
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I talk about way in depth in my book called The YouTube Formula is recon and research. Like the amount of time that we put into really defining who the viewer avatar is, is ridiculous. It really is. Let me just give you a perfect example. So we actually started a new YouTube channel in December, and we went in and invested into a company uh, with a creator. And I was obsessed of really understanding who the viewer is and really defining that potential viewer and how do you bring value to that viewer. And so we went through just kind of standard things that we do in marketing which is, you know, you go through the demographics and then the psychographics and what they do online and offline and channels that they love and websites that they engage with and we just really developed our core viewer and since then, you know, we've we've been able to get over 300,000 subscribers, you know, in in less than 6 months. And it was just like once you know how to speak to them, once you know how to engage with them, Uh, YouTube does its thing, which is predicts what the viewer wants to watch and keep them on the platform longer. And the cool thing about it is YouTube can see the same patterns that we're assuming because we we go through basically the scientific process. And once we're able to validate that, YouTube just turns the gas on and you're able to grow. And I can guarantee you since YouTube switched over to the AI back in uh, late 2012, 2013 is where the YouTube formula was developed because all we're doing is really understanding the viewer at a very visceral level. and then. Really knowing how to bring them value and then having them feel like they belong to something bigger than just a YouTube video.
1: That is amazing. So I want to go back to you talking about starting a YouTube channel, because I remember you talking about this a while ago, how you started a secret channel. You didn't tell anybody, but before you started that channel, you did like a ton of research. Some of the stuff you mentioned, psychographics, viewer demographics, different things like that. I'm curious, how long did it take you to gather the information that you needed to gather in your opinion before you started that channel? Because that's not something that normal creators do. Normally, we just start channels and go from there.
0: No, no, no. I Well, but that's the reason why I, I just don't want to waste time. Right. And So it's just more understanding who the audience is. Um, Generally, it will take three solid months, if not six, to really understand who the audience is. I like to get into their head and what makes them tick. And I've been doing it for a long time, and it's easier for me to slip in now than it was, you know, five, five, six years ago. But I would say the biggest thing, Viper, it would be it really depends on you know the channel and the content and the value proposition and what that attracts and then looking at similarities but i would say at least a good 3 to 6 months of me digging in and i want to make it quite clear you know when mr beast launched beast gaming it was pretty much 6 months of really defining the viewer and and you'd think oh he's huge and he's going all in on this but the ideal viewer for the gaming channel is not the ideal for, for the main channel And in fact, we wouldn't even use his face in the thumbnails. Uh, You can go back and sort by the old thumbnails and you're going to see that we didn't use his face because we didn't want people to click on that didn't like that type of content. What we wanted to do is get people that like that content. And once we had about 3.5 million subscribers, we started to put, you know, his face in it. And so the key is really understanding who would find value and want to stay on and not just come on because they're curious and go from there. And so, yeah, we spend uh, a lot of time. And then, too, um, there's been times that I've had this hypothesis and I was dead wrong. And that's what it takes a little bit longer of really defining who that is and, you know, what they would find valuable in content. But once I'm able to, to kind of lock in, then it's just game over. I like it's we know, you know you know, instinctively, you know, what content will resonate. We can create a great content strategy plan to develop and really develop that audience on a, on a deeper level.
1: That information that you gather before you start the channel, the demographics, the psychographics, all that stuff that helps you identify a target audience that you want for that particular channel. If we have a channel already on YouTube, a lot of that information is available to us in YouTube analytics. But if you don't have a channel, how does one go about finding that type of information?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So what I'm going to say is pretty it could be misunderstood. But if your channel's not growing, it doesn't matter what you look in your data (laughs) in the sense of your audience. Because I don't think you understand the value proposition of what you're trying to give to the audience or there's some type of disconnect. And so nine times out of 10, even if you're looking at the data, you're probably assuming it's wrong. Um, there was a huge YouTuber and I won't give them their name because I don't want to embarrass them and I haven't talked to him about this, but they said, oh, my audience is this demographic. And I'm like, you sure? Are you really sure? And he goes, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I says, well, I know you're doing a tour and let's just see who comes to the tour because I'll bet you it's literally 10 years younger than you think. Oh no, no, it was 10 years younger. And th- the whole thing about it is, you got to really understand who you're developing content for and the value proposition. So for me, even if I have the data or not, I like to see, hey, here's a, a group of people and this is the type of content that they like. And, um, you know, I'll go in and start going into YouTube, see what they're watching see what the suggested videos are, dig a little bit deeper in the suggested videos. But I'm basically in those comments like you can't even imagine. Like I spend so much time because the demographics are easy. Like I can say, this is the demographic, this is who I wanna hit, but the psychographics is hard. Like you gotta get in their head of what they would do how they're consuming, where they spend their time when they're not watching YouTube videos, what what their day's like. And you have to put the big puzzle together by reading through a lot of the comments, engaging in some Discords and some other places off of YouTube to truly understand, hey, what's actually happening here? So I spend a lot more time there regardless if I have the data because the data that you currently have, if you're not growing, there's a reason why you're not growing and maybe you're looking at it through a lens that is giving you false positives of what you're you're trying to connect. And you're like, "Ah, I can't figure it out. pulling your hair out I'm like well it's obvious that you're not the viewer that you think that it is it's not currently hitting with that viewer
1: gotcha so you talked about going into the youtube comments to gather the data that you need to figure out what you want to do with a new channel talk about there's something in your book where you were mentioning that a lot of creators that want to be creators on youtube if you're not watching YouTube, you're not really doing it right because you're not or if you're watching YouTube only for entertainment purposes, you're not really learning the platform. So talk to us about how you use YouTube as a learning tool to figure out how to make the best possible content to your audience and what's working, what's not different things like that.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I literally got hit up this morning and I can't tell you how many times they got hit up just to come help them on YouTube or whatever. And it's from a friend of mine from the past. And he's like, ah, I want to do YouTube. I'm like, How much YouTube do you watch? And like, zero, I'm like, you're not going to succeed. Like, I don't care who you are, because you're going to come <laughs> off differently than how YouTube videos need to be right and so you got to be a consumer of YouTube but I think the difference would be is you need to be more with student hat on in the sense of okay how do they hook me you know what what do their thumbnails look like what do their titles look like you know how fast do they change the edit what do they do for music ramp up you know and really what is that that you, uh, viewers journey you know how do they pull you through the video and so you're more taking notes like that and seeing if someone's successful that way and then I basically look for patterns I look for patterns of successful content, and I try to figure out what what is the underlying theme of the video, what's the value proposition of the video, how do you pull someone in, how do they re-engage the the viewers as they're into the story, and then you can see some master storytelling. Like, let me give you the perfect example. I think what Ryan Trahan did this last, uh, you know, couple months, it's been amazing, and the the difference would be he had very minimal team, but he actually understood what the thumbnail was going to be. He understood what the hook's gonna be, but more importantly, how the, the story is gonna interweave and this just internal, you know, kind of conflict and problems and story arc. Like, that's what was brilliantly done. And I think that will be uh, the talk for, for many years of how to integrate your content. So your story arc weaves through multiple videos, that they're invested in multiple videos and not just one video.
1: Yeah, funny because at VidIQ, a lot of times we talk about delivering on a click. Like, if you can get them to look at your title and thumbnail and get them to make that decision to click on it, you have to deliver on a click as soon as humanly possible. Otherwise, you're going to lose the viewer because Absolutely. I would say, at an hour, you have an hour, maybe about 30 seconds to a four, you decide whether or not they want to stay with your video or not.
0: Now I would say more like five seconds, maybe five, Ooh, wow. 10 seconds. Now keep mm. in mind, I want everyone out there. Like I'm not happy unless I have like 82 to 90% retention. Like I, I get really, really focused. Wow. And the biggest thing is if you take care of that first minute, most importantly, that first five, 10 seconds, you'll actually create a pattern of making amazing content that would engage and deliver on that promise of the title and thumbnail. And that's where you can pull them in and you know when i when i work with my students that's where i specifically have them focus because that's where the deficiency with most creators are they can get the click but after that they're like oh this is disengaged or you know it takes like literally a minute and a half to really ramp up explain what it is instead of really making it very very powerfully delivered where it pulls them in and you know, people will be more forgiving on the tail end, but not not in the beginning. Like I'm still in that mode of, hey, did you invest in my time? Because like I need that value to come in at a very, very fast rate. If not, I'm bouncing.
1: Which makes a nice segue into the next topic here, YouTube <laughs> short. So you just said that creators have about five seconds to retain a viewer's, uh, viewership throughout a video. So I'm curious, Daryl, to get your outlook on YouTube shorts and short form content in general. Like where do you think it going? Do you think it's going to be around for the long term or do you think longer form content is the more... Your mainstay So about
0: four years ago, I got on and predicted that TikTok would actually be the biggest platform of all time. And that that's kind of weird coming from a YouTube guy. But I did a consult for TikTok way back when saw their algorithm and their algorithms nuts. Like when you really look at everything it's doing, it can really predict what you want to watch, even though it has so much content out there. And I also believe, you know, it's not going to destroy YouTube. I don't think, you know, short form content is going to destroy it, but we got to understand what short form content is and what it's not. And this is where I really haven't seen anybody talk about it this way. I probably should write an article or something on it. But realistically, all short form content is is a video meme. That's it we live in memes we communicate through memes and when we deliver that short form content in meme form that's where you see the bulk of the views coming from it's just like oh i get it it's a meme and you go from there and if you take it from that perspective then that's the value proposition right and if that's the value proposition then ultimately you know when you are delivering on that that's where you'll actually see a lot of growth and success now you'll see Hey, well, no, I, I'm information and I'm news. Well, that is a segment, and that's different. That's a different value proposition. Uh, you won't grow as fast unless the news is so over the top, crazy that people want to share it. But you know, w- w- the way that everything triggers right now is, you know, when people are sharing it uh, via text and or any of the the social outlets. That's when you know that you actually have something special. So it's kind of like what the early days of what YouTube was is how the short form content is. I just think it has a, it's cemented in a place with this up and coming generation. I think Gen Z is uh, consumed by it. and then also they're, they're using regular long form YouTube videos as their place to really, really deep dive with their favorite creator. But when they're looking for quick entertainment, um, there's something visceral about them, you know, getting that rush of seeing something that they really engage with. And they get that quick laugh or that quick engagement and they just either swipe right or swipe up, you know. So it's really I think it's programming our generation to be dumb. But I, I'll be honest with you. I spend a lot of time on TikTok and YouTube shorts because that content is good. You know, there's a lot of great content, but it's just different. It's just a different form of video.
1: You said the word quick a lot of time there. Quick engagement, quick laugh, quick content. There were chatter going on on Twitter recently about how TikTok creators and short form creators in general have a harder time making that connection with the audience because the content is so quick and you don't really have time to grow that bond with the creator. As opposed to when you make regular like long form videos, you get a lot more time and opportunity to have that bond with the creator. Do you think there's anything to that?
0: No, I I think it's exactly right. I don't know who said that on Twitter, but they, they should actually, you know, tweet more often. But the reason why is because when they engage, they're like, oh, I like them, but for them to actively seek them out is not a viewing pattern that happens often, right? What happens is they go to their For You page or go whatever, they swipe up, they find something they're engaged with, but they're not actively seeking, oh, I want to follow this creator. So you actually have to do something that I think that's totally insane, which is post a lot. Uh, You have to post so much to be relevant because it's a feed-based system. And yes, it does service up older videos that can take off, but at the end of the day, that's exhausting. And I do believe though, you don't get a connect, that same connection value that you would on longer form videos. Um, I do think that there are Uh, specific segments and demographics of content creators that are on short form content that people would follow and they would engage with and they would go from there, but they always will go to YouTube to get longer form content to really connect with their audience because it can't give them that on that level. However, that being said, I am a firm believer of live streams and that is where they are connecting because they will do a live stream on TikTok or YouTube or wherever, Instagram. Uh, any any short form, and that's where they do connect a lot. I personally believe that's the future of the short form content creators to uh, develop audiences. Uh, We're about five years behind in kind of video marketing strategies, video audience development strategies. China's like, way, way, way further down the road than we are. And I I believe that we're just behind and that's kind of where they jump on, do a live stream, engage, but then do short form content and just really engage them that way. And so I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that and then we're going to see a lot of e-commerce sales through live streams. And uh, for those that don't know, YouTube just did a huge deal with uh, Shopify that you can now integrate the stuff into YouTube. And I think we're just seeing the first movements in that direction because YouTube needs to do something to really help the creator make money.
1: Speaking of YouTube needing to do things to help the creator make money, I think right now we're probably at the very beginning of the creator economy and its potential. I'm curious, since you are in the thick of it, where do you see the creator economy in the next 10 years or so? So
0: I see, I foresee YouTube channels being publicly traded companies. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of money coming into it. I believe right now I've seen a huge shift in the creator economy where uh, some billion-dollar companies come in and buy your back catalog, uh, give creators like an infusion of cash coming in. And then two, uh, you're going to see a lot more partnerships coming through. In fact, that's what my company does. Uh, We go and find creators that create, and we handle kind of the business side and some other stuff from there. But we buy into companies all the time, and uh, that's how we make our money consistently, is to build up that brand and and roll from there. But I do believe that we are at the early stages of it, and I think that as public money and public awareness come into it, uh, you're going to see it kind of transform, kind of like what the music industry did way back when and it's gonna get vicious. And I hate to see it that way, cause there's something, you know, kind of where you're bootstrapping it and you're really engaging, but this industry is transforming. You're gonna see a lot of licensing. You're gonna see a lot of IP. You're gonna see a lot of brands that will go onto Netflix and Amazon and all the different places from there. And then two, really capitalize in a, in a very unique way. But I do believe uh, for a fact that these new influencers, uh, the power that they willed will actually, uh, we'll see in the next probably five years that the money will actually infuse bigger than what Hollywood has been in the past. Because what's happening right now is uh, you can go on the street and you can show an actor versus an influencer, have their faces. And they've, they've done this blind study over and over again. And nine times out of 10, they'll know the influencer versus the, the actor. And it was just crazy, crazy to me. But yet the actor makes the bulk of the money, right? Well, I think that's going to change quite dramatically with the way that the new media is coming out, but also the new way of deals that happens. So like one of the things that my company does, and I don't really talk about this publicly a lot, but I'll talk about it here because it's Tube Talk with with Viper, right? (laughs) But what we do is we'll go in and develop a product that we get the patent on, we'll get all the trademarking or whatever, and we use the influence of the creator to build that brand. And then at that two years down the road, then we flip it for, you know, six to 10 X. So if you get like 2 million, $5 million of consistent sales, you could sell that brand because these, There's these huge companies out there that are looking to acquire the sales. And, you know, what we're looking to do is like easy exit strategy for content creators that they can go have a really big payday and then build up that next big thing. Um, Now, if they don't want to sell and they want to continue to sell the product, you know, we're there uh, as well. And so. I think you're going to see a lot of that. And then I do believe that the influencers that are coming online right now will actually influence the first trillion dollar company. I I really do. I think that there'll be a trillion dollar startup that will use influencers in a way to actually take it to where it's like one of the most profitable companies out there.
1: Yeah, going back to what you said about the asking somebody on the street and them knowing the influencer over the actor, I think that's because the influencers have a much closer bond with their audience than the actors. Absolutely. The actors try to be, most of them try to be as inaccessible as possible. Whereas you got the influencers that are right out there on YouTube, Twitter, wherever. And just because they're more accessible, they have that ability to build that bond with the audience. And I think that's going to be powerful. Like you said, in the next five to 10 years when the creator economy just blows up because people will buy from people they trust.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And, uh,
0: Well, let me give you a perfect example. So Mm -hmm. we have a a new product that's coming out for a client of ours. And basically he has the biggest uh, motorcycle channel on YouTube. It's called bikes and beards. And then he has the second biggest uh, motorcycle channel It's SRK cycles. So it's like he has the two biggest channels on YouTube when it comes to motorcycles Well, we went to him says, Hey, what's your ideal product? He says, I've always wanted to do a cleaner because they always do it for automobiles, but not for bikes. And so we came in, found uh, the manufacturer. We actually launched it on Kickstarter. Um, What's crazy is just doing one live stream, just one live stream in the first 10 minutes of the live stream, we were fully funded on Kickstarter. And within that first 30 minutes of the live stream, we were trending on Kickstarter, you know, and and we walked away with like $130,000 of sales just like that. And so like here at the end of the day is you're going to see more of that happening. You're going to literally see more of that happening. And you know, for me, it's when an audience knows, loves, and trusts you. And as you're introducing something that is literally what they want, they'll buy for support, but also they'll buy it because they like it. And then that's when they rebuy and rebuy and rebuy. And I think that's where the market's going. And you're going to see a lot of billionaires coming out of YouTube for sure.
1: I think that lends itself to another point here that when we talk about creators doing sponsorship deals on YouTube, I think it's very important that the creators identify products and services that can give their audience value because, again, the audience already trusts that creator. But if the creator can manage that with putting something in front of their audience that will actually bring value to the audience, then you have an absolute win. I think the mistake that some creators make is that they'll do sponsorship about things that might be totally unrelated to their content or something that can actually help their audience. But as you said, the guy wanted to do a cleaner. Yeah. Well, if you're watching the motorcycle channel, then you wanna talk about, you wanna clean it. And
0: I, for me, I don't wanna do a sponsorship. I wanna become my own brand deal. Like I want my product. I don't wanna just get a percentage of saying, oh, hey, just do the shout out. I want the whole enchilada, man. So like, instead of taking a percentage of whatever for a brand deal, that's great when you get started, but ultimately when you get to a level, you know, you should be considering, hey, how do we take it up where we own the product, you know, and we're building an empire here. Like, that's what I wanna see. And I want a lot of creators to see that as well. It's just because the opportunity is so big. It's like, why would you take 20 grand here when you could make 8 million there, right? Like, why? why would you do it that way? Um, And so I think you're going to see a lot of entrepreneurs partnering up with great creators and really establishing solid brands that's going to take them further down the road uh, just because this economy is so interesting. And then two, we're going to see a lot of transition in ad money. And for me, I only like my ad revenue coming in on a a channel to be like 20%, if not 10% of the company's income. And you got to literally learn how to diversify. And there's so many different ways where you can partner up with, you know, Spotter or Jelly smack and put your content on other platforms and have them leverage your ip you could create your own products and brands and services or you know even digital products that you can even take it you know so much further if long as you have to have as an audience the thing that i always like to say it's not as difficult as what you think and let me give you this example because i just literally had this text yesterday with a partner of mine I says, Hey, we had this huge promotion that was going, we did a live stream on Sunday and we did about $865,000 in 24 hours. And I sent it out to my other partner on this other channel says, Hey, look at this and he's like, Oh, you're making me jealous and whatever. And I'm like, well, no, it's just to inspire you. Cause I says, you know, we can, we can make a million dollars in a day. And he goes, ah, man, that's a lot. I go, no, it's not. It's actually a $300 product. Okay. That you sell 3,333 units of. That's a million dollars right there. And I says, that's not that big. And right now, the size of your channel, you know, just getting enough loyal people, yeah, it might take some time, but this is what we can do. We can actually build up to this. And then I showed them in a couple other examples that I did it with a couple other companies that we co-own. And that's, I just want people to get in their mindset. It's not that difficult because once you actually have something that's in line with your viewer avatar, okay, that basically their psychographics, demographics, what they do online, offline, and it, it fulfills what with a need and it solves a problem, that's where it's a slam dunk. Because then you know you're just saying, "Hey, go buy this," and they're buying it because they want to support you, but also it's really dope and it's in line with what they want. And so that is the next you know iteration that I see happening here in the creator economy. And I I do believe creators are going to get smarter and they're going to partner with more people uh, to take it where they need to be. Even even so much so that they'll go public. Uh, I, you'll see a lot of public companies, like I said.
2: I believe it. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by vidIQ's Trend Alerts tool. Think Google Alerts, but specifically for YouTube trends. This tool is great for planning your next video as it helps you stay on top of trending topics within your niche. Provided you have vidIQ installed on your Chrome or Firefox browser, you'll find it on the left-hand sidebar the next time you're in your YouTube studio. Once there, you can create an alert and enter keywords for it and set the parameters. So, for example, I could have a channel that covers iPhones and I may want an alert that includes things like iPhone, iPhone 12, or even Apple event. Then I can set up my alert to email me whenever a new video hits say 500, 1000, or even 10,000 views an hour. So if suddenly I get an email and see 20 new videos all talking about iPhone 27 rumors, and they're all each getting about 500 views an hour, I know that something's probably going down and I had better hit record. The Trend Alerts tool is free when you sign up with vidIQ, so, Visit vidIQ.com, install the extension, and start creating trend alerts today.
1: So let's talk about somebody that's doing it probably better than anybody else right now, our friend Mr. B. I'm curious, how did you two come together and talk <laughs> about like how he's evolved from saying a certain word like 100 times to what he's doing today, quick games. Yes. He's about to hit 100 million. Like, talk about Mr. B for a minute because that's craziness.
0: Yeah, so there's not too many people in the world um, like Jimmy Donaldson. I'll put it out there. Uh, He's just wired differently. He's obsessed um, over over YouTube. But how we met is he followed me on Twitter like five years ago, and I was following him. And I I, kind of like watching content creators out there. And I get this random text on DM on Twitter. He's like, hey, where are you at? Let's talk. And so I jumped on the phone, we started talking, and he's like, dude, where you at? I'm like, I'm in Dallas right now. I'm working on a project. He goes, I will be there in six hours. I'm like, you're not gonna be here in six hours He goes, I've been there in six hours. Sure enough, he gets on a freaking plane, flies to Dallas, and we we sit down and we take, you know, a full day of just talking data and whatever. And, you know, he probably had maybe three or four million subscribers at the time, but he was just obsessed with learning and we just kind of hit it off and started talking from there. And so anyway, I invited him to Vid Summit, and, and this is most people don't know he was sitting in the freaking audience and no one knew that who he was and he came to vid summit and and here he was just you know consuming And the next year he was the biggest content creator on the planet right but that's kind of how it all started and we just started mastermind and then i i flew out um lived out in north carolina uh during the pandemic helping him on his side uh do a couple things and then we own a couple businesses together and so that's kind of the the gist of it and you know the the big thing is is He's super obsessive to win and to be the biggest YouTuber of all time. And he will literally put every dime, every dollar into making that happen. And then once that happens, uh, I won't speak for him. Like he will be, you know, uh, one of the first YouTube billionaires uh, on the planet. And, you know, just the mechanism that he has for his uh, philanthropy side, that's a huge channel that's doing a lot of good out there. And then his business side, um, he's just crushing it, you know, just across the board.
1: Yeah, the things that he's doing on content and uh, content creation are incredible. Just like somebody had put a tweet out a while ago about the statistics of his quick game video versus the actual statistics (laughs) of the Netflix show. And the fact (laughs) that there was even a comparison to be made there is just nothing short of incredible. I think his video has more views than the actual show now, which is just wow, dude. I'm not too sure about the internal
0: numbers and I don't know if it's just the U S based numbers. I don't know if it's worldwide. Yeah. His is definitely worldwide on his contents because it is translated and dubbed in other languages of that specific video. So, I mean, it's hitting massive, but I think that the biggest thing is the budget that he had versus the budget that they had. And then too, YouTube was promoting it versus Netflix. Like Netflix when, when Squid King came out, like they were really pushing it heavily. Um, you know, and then it had its own kind of cult following, you know, getting people to watch and they were talking about it as well. And so, you know, pretty amazing. But like hats off to Jimmy in the sense that he thinks big, he dreams big, and then he delivers yes, on that promise, are. man. He does, he does. So
1: doing big things. So during that explanation of your time with Mr. Beach, you mentioned one of my favorite words of the late Vid Summit. <laughs> a question that I get often, and I actually made a whole podcast dedicated to talking about the differences. People ask me a lot. What's the difference between VidCon and Vid Summit?" Now, obviously you might be a little biased because you created VidSummit, but you've been to a few VidCons in your day, right?
0: I've been to all of them except for this year. I missed oh. this year, believe it or not. I was in Brazil uh, working. Oh. And so I wasn't able to, to go this year.
1: Okay. So here's what I need you to do for me as the creator of VidSummit and a guy who's been to almost all the VidCons, if a creator comes up to you and asks you, what's the difference between going to VidCon and going to VidSummit, Please explain that to the listeners.
0: Yeah, so VidCon is a creator fan experience. So if you wanna connect with your fans, that's where they're gonna be. And uh, VidCon is amazing. I love VidCon, I've supported them. I, I really have drinking the Kool-Aid on what they're what they're about, but it's that uh, creator fan experience. And then two, uh, VidCon's a great place to uh, go to a lot of freaking parties. Like there's like probably a couple hundred parties out there if you're into that thing. And you can, you know, if you've gotta to go to party to party, there's all these brands that are trying to court these creators from there. And like for me, it's about showboarding. I think a lot for a lot of creators, they'll go and kind of flex at VidCon. But VidSummit is about creators helping other creators. It's like, it's all about the data. It's all about making money. And the thing that I love is here, you'll have keynotes that'll come up and they'll give a presentation and they'll go out in the hall, answer questions for two or three hours. And then the keynote goes in and learns from the next keynote. It's like, that's what VidSummit is. It's like, here we are colleagues. We're all learning from each other. I had a really, really big YouTuber come last year and he's like, I need security. I'm like, you don't need freaking security. He's like, I need security. Like I've been to these conferences before. You have no idea the demand on me. And I'm like, okay, first off, you've never been to VidSummit. And two, the biggest YouTuber that's there that dwarfs you doesn't have security. He can walk around freely. And he goes, what? And I go, yeah, and I go, even two, even creators that thought that they needed security, they didn't. It's like, people are very uh, mindful. You'll get a, one or two crazies, right? But outside of that, it's like, people are mindful, they view you as a colleague, you know, they they view you equally, right? And they can learn from you. And the crazy thing about it is, some of the uh, biggest creators are learning from smaller creators, that, oh, I gotta implement that, because they were on stage and it was like, oh, it's just this huge, big collaboration, uh, which I love. And like, for me, there's a place for everything. And the reason why I started VidSummit is because I saw the creator economy before the creator comedy actually existed, and I'm like, this is going to be a behemoth, and there's no one teaching them how to make this a business. No one's saying, look, this is all about money, and that's what VidSummit is, believe it or not. It's all about money. It's about understanding your data, leveraging your audience to make more money, or it might be streamlining your process, really uh, being efficient as a content creator so you're not burning out so you can make more money. You know, at the end of the day, it's that opportunity that we do. And so that's that's where, you know, we're all about it. And then two, I um, strategically brought on partners that get it. Uh, one is Sean Duras. When he came to Summit, my goal was to have him keynote, but ultimately uh, bring him in to be a partner and then uh, leverage his relationships that he has with Gary V and a few other places that these bigger brands, because he does a lot of stuff. But he had two employees at the time. I says, hey, Sean, please come into a session before you give the keynote because our culture here is different and I want you to to listen to it. Well, it was all about scaling yourself, scaling the opportunities and really leveraging it um, in a way that you could uh, take your business to the next level. Well, that's the moment that Sean goes, oh my gosh, this is so freaking amazing. He wrote down the plan. He went from three employees to like 300 and he like literally has his hands in a lot of different things and it came from that presentation with the idea to bring people on and partner with certain people to scale where it needed to be and it all came from that presentation now he gave his keynote and then he says i need to stay for a day he pushed off like five different brand deals and collabs just to go to the full two days because he found enough value in it and then for me i just approached him and says hey uh you know i'd, I'd well he approached me about buying in but uh, that was kind of my plan <laughs> and then after that mr beast like he went once he's like i want in i'm like no i don't <laughs> I'm not selling it to you he's like i want in i'm like all right you just gotta gotta help us take it to the next level which he did um and uh so he bought bought in a couple of years ago
1: that is pretty awesome again i've been to two business myself and i can definitely attest to the environment there you don't need security at on summit it's laid back i literally walked through the hallway one time and i really literally bumped into people by yep. accident like it's cool the environment like you said we're just there as fellow colleagues and collaborators there's no oh i'm bigger than you and all this other stuff it's yep. literally like a family reunion environment event summit, and I love it, and I love going every year, and I'm excited to be back in September, man. It's gonna be great.
0: Yeah, and we do have security there. Just we're not crazy, but right, it's right. like you don't need it. Uh, we we definitely are keeping our eyes on uh, the content creators for sure, but. I love it for that. And it has its own culture. And let me kind of explain the culture. And I think you nailed it on the head a couple of times. But for me, it's about giving back. It's like giving creators a platform to teach that they don't necessarily have a platform. And so you're lear- like we were learning from Ryan Trahan last year. And he's talking about very specific strategies that he used this year, you know, and we got a kind of a preview of kind of his thought process of how he approach- approaches content. You know, we have the biggest content creators on the planet willing to share with the people out there. Like, you know, and think, keep in mind, like people think, oh, I'm going to bring up my own competition. Well, no, everybody there, they don't view each other as competition, but a way to help and give a leg up, you know? And so that's what it's all about. And that's what I love more than anything.
1: I always talk about creators not viewing each other in competition because we're all here to help each other, especially when, when you're talking about negotiating brand deals and realizing your value and getting paid what you're actually worth. We don't want to see another creator get shortchanged because then it's bad for all of us. So we definitely try to help each other out. I think that's one of the coolest things about the creator community that we have right now. I think by and large, we are out here to help each other because we understand that when you're trying to do this for a living, you need all the help that you can get and you want to make sure you're getting paid what you're worth because these brands will not pay you what you're worth if you let them. (laughs)
0: That's That's so
1: true. Definitely. So I want to go back to YouTube. Obviously, with us being a part of VidIQ, we run across a lot of new creators or people who are thinking about starting YouTube. As a guy who's been around the block a few times for YouTube and been around YouTube for as long as you have, what is the most common misconception in your opinion that new creators have about YouTube?
0: That their content's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, come on. Uh, you asked me with a question. I had to give you it to you. said the same thing in your book. <laughs> I
1: love it. I love
0: it. <laughs> Elaborate on that, though. Talk, talk Why am I going to change? That's my opinion. I mean, that's like... right. You're
1: right yep, <laughs> talk about that though.
0: No, it's like seriously like I think the people think that their their first video or the first set of videos are so amazing and what they do is they create content, you know, you whether it's a couple hundred videos or whatever, and they go back and look at their first one and they're like, what was I thinking? In my mind, what was going on? I thought this was good? You know, and so I think I think all of us think our content's amazing and I do believe there's a disconnect. I do believe that you're cr- like a lot of content creators create content for themselves and I think that's a huge mistake. Um, you're creating content for someone. There, there's an acquisition involved. If, you, if not, if you just made it, the video for yourself, then only expect one view. Don't, don't expect hundreds of millions of views, just expect one view. If you're making it for someone, and the goal is to bring so much value that they have to share it with other people, then expect millions of views. And I think that's kind of the misconception going in is it's easy, all you gotta do is put a camera on my face and people are gonna love me. But I think you need to go in and do some research and dig, deep dive. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and he's going to be presenting it at, at Vid Summit, is I get this DM and this guy's like, hey, do you do consultations? I'm like, yeah. And um, so I gave him my consultation, rate, right, And he about lost his lunch. You know, he's like, oh, my gosh, you're so expensive, whatever. And he said this. He goes, I don't have the money yet, but I will. <laughs> like, okay, right? So he went and paid for an hour consult, and I'm not cheap, I'm like really expensive. Like I should charge more money because I make a lot more money per hour, but it's like I charge what you know I need to. And anyway, he comes on the console. he says, Daryl, I'm gonna be the biggest YouTuber of all time. And I says, I've heard that before. And then he explained his process of how he processes things. And he goes, I have these couple ideas I want to run by you. And he did. And I kind of made them better and helped him kind of formulate uh, his strategy. And then fast forward just one year, it was just one year, he had this idea and he was willing to uh, invest money. He he put his last dollar into these videos and with the whole hope of taking it to a higher level. Now, is that video like amazing or whatever? Well, no, but it was really good idea And it was a really good story, and it was a really good kind of mechanism in place, which was social jacking. Um, so he made a Mr. Beast a car for a Beast Burger, and he drove it all the way across you know the United States and delivered it to Mr. Beast. Well, I was there, and I didn't even know that he was doing it, like when I was you know in North Carolina. And so he hit it off. Mr. Beast was gracious, took it, was in his video, and then he challenged him to Uber all the way back, you know, to the United States. He had to borrow money so he could Uber back. You know what I'm saying? He was just like going all the way back, but. What was really cool is he he came to VidSummit, basically did that consultation right after that. And then that one year, this last year, uh, he just he blew up like he literally blew up and he wrote his name's Matthew Beam. You can check him out on YouTube. But what I love about him is I get these random texts from him and he's like, dude, I literally just went on sabbatical for a little bit. We're still making videos, but I, he hasn't missed a video upload yet. But he goes, I just literally just obsessed watching every Mr. Beast video, and he gave all the creators videos. And he literally counted every adjective that they used in the video. And he made a little note. And then he he created, you know, just this whole document of what he's doing. He says, this is what I'm going to do to level up my content. So we talked about it for a little bit, did a little consult, and and ultimately he's now doing it and he's crushing it right now. And I'm just grateful that he's able to come to VidSummit and share because he was one of those people that had zero subscribers or a couple thousand subscribers when he came to VidSummit. And that's how fast things can really go when you really have the right type of connections and also the right type of content and really the right type of learning. And he's like a, a big student of YouTube. Mr. Beast is a big student of YouTube. It's like, you got to be obsessed with it. If you want to win, you got to understand what it, what it is. And so you got to really take it where you're putting your, in the time. And I don't mean the time of being in front of the camera. I don't mean the time of editing, right. but in the time of understanding yep. what good content really is.
1: Definitely. That is amazing. I know you've been a part of a whole bunch of creative stories about how they started from nothing and they rolled up. I mean, you got a bunch of gold playbooks behind you and it's just amazing. So. I appreciate the that you gave during the podcast, man. It's always good. Something else I want to talk to you about real quick before we get out of here. Obviously, you do a bunch of different things around YouTube, but you have a program called Channel Jumpstart. Yeah. Talk to us about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, so I'm a big goal setter, and um, I love setting goals and achieving goals. And I knew that I wanted to get away from the one-on-one consults. I wanted to get away from doing these big deals with with big companies where it took a lot of my personal time. and And I wanted to figure out a way to really give back. And so I, I put in a goal that I wanted to create a mentoring program where I take creators all around the world and brands from all around the world. And for 12 weeks, mentor them to understand what I, how I see YouTube. And in fact, what was really cool about YouTube formula is I created a system and I wanted to prove that it was true. And, and the case studies that I was using in the book were actually me teaching my students how to, how to do it. So it was their results (laughs) and I wanted to make sure that I was presenting it in the way that they could receive it. And so it's a lot deeper than the book and, and it's a mentoring program for 12 weeks and. You know, we've been doing it for a couple years and uh, what I love, and this is probably more rewarding uh, to me than anything, is to see people's lives transform. Let me give you one example, and I, I can literally give you hundreds of examples, but I just one example, I had consult call and this girl has been on YouTube for quite some time and she just says, I'm going to give up. And I'm like, why are you going to give up? She says, I literally have PTSD moments of uploading. My mental health is not there. You know, is it really worth it? Yes, the money's there, but it's like literally crazy for me. And I says, well, let's talk about it. And so she was talking about her content strategy and I says, oh man, you, like you just got to shift your avatar and you got to shift your content a little bit, you know, and you'll be fine. She goes, I oh, just can't do it. And I says, look, you can do it. This is what you need to do. So on the console, we, we had an idea. And I says, if this works, I want you to come back and we'll we'll talk about mentoring or whatever. So she did it. And it was like 10x, you know, the amount of views that she got, you know, on any other video just took off and she was having fun again. But she's like, oh, it was what one off video or whatever. So I started to mentor her. And what was interesting was she actually got it. She understood that her channel was much bigger. She was a personality channel and not what she thought she was. And then she created a content strategy that was able to be in line with that type of channel. And what's been great is to see that she bought a house with cash and she's making 20X the amount of money that she did before. And it was all coming back down to understanding what her content really is and the possibilities of what it is. And if you want to take a look at the channel, it's Hope Scope and uh, Hope and Tyler uh, are crushing it right now. Like they're just great, great uh, people, but you can see their content has really evolved. And I, I would say one of the coolest things, moments for me is like I have a TV show that I produce, it's called The Chosen. I was on set and uh, one of the producers kids when the kids come on i'm like i always do my youtube flex i'm like hey who do you like on youtube and i'll see if they're in my phone or whatever and i'll send them a text or whatever and anyway these two boys and a girl was there and um they live in texas whatever and they're like hey we were talking about mr beast and like oh man that's so cool and and the girl's like Ah, mr beast like who likes mr Beast? whatever and i'm like this is like the first teenager that (laughs) that didn't like mr beast and she goes i'll be impressed if you actually have hope scope in your thing i'm like well Guess what? She's actually right here. <laughs> and she's like, no, are you serious? Oh, I gotta meet her. And so we're actually doing it with my students. I get together quarterly with them in person. We're gonna be down in Texas. And I, I told Hope, I go, you have to meet this girl cause like she is your biggest fan, you know, and it's just. That's what's really cool about it is is seeing my students really succeed in a way that they never thought before and really take the blinders off. I think creators get so in their lane, they don't see the full picture. And for me, I actually get a lot of joy out of mentoring. And, and for me, it's more of a values thing. I, I don't do it uh, specifically for the money. I can make a lot more money doing other things, but I get a lot of joy and it actually uh, achieves with what I feel like one of my purposes here on earth is, was just encourage creators to make amazing content, to uplift the world, not rip it down. And so that's kind of the mechanism that we do is just inspiring creators to create amazing content that will impact the world, you know, in a positive way. And that's, that's what we're all about. And, you know, you can find more information at channeljumpstart.com.
1: Awesome. I got one more question for you before we get out of here. And it's something that you mentioned in your book about what your father taught you. And I just found this very fascinating. When you were going through your early roles and you went to your father to talk to them about the things that you were experiencing, He told you something to the effect of, don't focus on a solution, focus on the problem. Because once you focus your time on the actual problem, the solution will present itself. Can you talk about how that worked out for you? And what do you think about that advice? Because I just found that fascinating.
0: Yeah, a little tender moment. My dad just passed a couple months ago. So I'm still, like, still, it hits me a little hard because of how impactful he was uh, for me. But... But yeah, like going into business, I think we're always focusing in on the solution, right? And we're trying to figure things out, the solution to this and that. And what I love is that advice. And and that's something that Einstein actually talked about too. Like if he had a certain amount of time, he'd spend 99% of his time on you know, what the problem is and then the solution would be there. But I've always found that that's pretty much how to succeed is when you really focus in on the problem, you know whatever the problem may be it's just it gives you ideas of how you can course correct how you can fix and the whole system that i teach is the um, scientific processes plan execute analyze and adjust and it's that analyzing and adjust that a lot of content creators get so fearful but that's where you got to really look at okay well here's the problem here's the problem here's the problem and you'll realize oh if i did this That's all I need to really rectify that. And that's the success that you'll actually do. And so for me, that's helped me in all aspects of my life is really uh, focusing on the problem and define what it really is. A lot of people put this false problem up. They say, this is what the problem is. Like the algorithm hates me or YouTube hates me or whatever. And what's the real problem is they actually have a sucky title and thumbnail and they have a sucky first minute of the video that nobody wants to watch, you know, and they think it's good and it's really not. But they can't get it in their head. They can't wrap it in their head that it is actually horrible, you know? And so if they can really just focus in on what the problem is, you will actually see a path if you allow yourself to really take time. And so for me, Every day I go in and I do an action exercise for at least 50 minutes where I just focus on all my problems. Um, and I pick one at a time and just focus in on it. And that's why I'm able to do a lot because I all these solutions just come to me. Is like when I'm focusing on you know every little aspect of every little issue that's keeping me down, that helps me understand the things that I need to do to,
1: to get ahead. That is pretty awesome, man. Daryl Eads, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. I thank you for the time. Where can the people find you on the internet? What's the best place for people to look you up?
0: Yeah, just uh, on any social. Spell my name, Daryl Eves, D-E-R-R-A-L-E-V-E-S or DarylEves.com.
1: Awesome. I will have all the information in the show notes. And uh, thank you for being on the podcast. And thank you all for listening to another episode. You all take care. And I will be back for another episode of Tube Talk presented by VidIQ.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by VidIQ. Head over to vidIQ.com slash talk for today's show notes and previous
1: episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.